Hello, I'm Bill Carr. I want to welcome you to our second podcast of Shift for Brains. We're in unceded Mi'kmaq territory of Shibuktuk in Halifax, and I'm in a new studio. I've got some wonderful people with me, and this is going to be an exciting broadcast, I think, because we're going to explore pot, dope, marijuana, Mary Jane, and all of the controversy around it, I, I hope uh, we're going to shed some light on that and, and have a conversation with a couple of amazing people who are on the front lines. Uh, it's called a podcast, I guess, this time. I never smoked marijuana in my life. I never, I, I, my parents owned a bar. I competitively drank since I was 14. So I'm more of an alcohol kind of guy. I understand it's a drug. I have three kids into the age of 16 who are going to grow up in a world with legalized marijuana. You know, I'm not against it. I think everything, you know, I, you know, there was prohibition. And alcohol came in, I think used responsibly. I don't have a big issue with it. I think it's a great idea for medical purposes. I think the drug industry has too much control. I think it's a great idea. Well, financially, medically, um, to be honest, it's a magical plant. And all of its benefits, I think, are going to come into light as more research is done on it. It has the potential to cause problems. Just abuse, I guess. Uh, people, you know, how do you regulate it? People driving, how do you, how do you regulate that? Like, I think, I think maybe they have to be more prepared. I'm not sure that we're ready for it. Spending some time in Denver a couple years ago and uh, talking to people on the streets in Denver, and they said that it's uh, tremendously lowered crime. So I took that as a positive uh, reason uh, for uh, uh, the, the uh, advocacy of, uh, of legalizing marijuana. A lot of people are who could really benefit from it aren't able to use it right now, and there's a lot of mental health and those types of benefits too, especially the older generation, so I'm, I'm for it. I think it's used recreational anyway, so whether it's not, it's legalized or not, I don't think it's going to make a difference in that aspect. And uh, medical-wise, I think there's, from what I've heard, there's a lot of great benefits, so why not? I sell seeds for novelty yeah. and collectible. They're not for agricultural purposes. July 1st is supposed to be the date, and on July 1st we'll see what happens. I've been selling seeds for 15 years. I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Specifically in Nova Scotia, how they're not going to be selling in private shops. Like, uh, there's a couple other provinces that are doing it right. They have government shops and private shops, so they want to control it as much as they can, which is a, it's good, but they just need to control it in a different way from how they're controlling liquor right now. Well, yeah, it's definitely good that it's being legalized, but they are going about it in a, I wouldn't say wrong way, but like a questionable way, just because like, it's just promoting like liquor and weed together is dangerous. I had trouble naming this podcast. I was going to call it uh, Marijuana Madness or Pot Passion, Cannabis Concerns. And then I, I finally came down to the simplest one, Podcast. So this is our first podcast, and I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, I'm here with Chris Enns and Carl Morgan, whom I'll introduce in a second, but I wanted to just uh, just to mention that Shift for Brains is not about uh, point uh, or counterpoint and forcing people to defend their positions while attacking the positions of others. Now, that's how most journalism and newscasts work, and that sort of debate has its place, but here at Shift for Brains, the goal is to really understand what people are thinking and feeling about issues and ideas that affect us every day. We believe it's important 
to truly understand a person's position and see why they stand where they stand so we can better know how to think about an issue or an idea for ourselves. And we believe that personal stories, or first voices as we call them, are how we can hear and understand an issue more deeply. That's why, you'll notice, there's no uh, police represented in the discussion today, or politicians, or medical professionals. This is a chance to allow you as entrepreneurs and people in this society to just tell your story. Shift for Brains allows you to talk about what you do, what it means to you, and myself and the listeners have the chance to see clearly your perspectives on things. I'll be asking questions, but only to dig deeper into what you're all about. So your story will possibly or even probably change how I think about things. And in regards to this issue today, I can readily tell you that like the society at the moment, I have all sorts of conflicting thoughts. So I am, in fact, inviting you to shift my brain. <laughs> Sound like a plan? Perfect. All right, I'm going to start. I'm going to introduce the two of you. Chris Enns is a cannabis activist, uh, patient advocate for 10 years, owner of the Pharmacists Medical Cannabis Dispensary, began serving licensed medical patients with cannabis products from a storefront in 2012, provided safe access by delivery prior to that, co owner of the Grow Up. Uh, shop, an indoor gardening and hydroponics supply store that encourages both commercial and home growers to explore organic production techniques by demonstrating superior yields and products in our own gardens. Sound right? Sounds great. Welcome, Chris. Carl, you sent a note uh, last night, and I want to just read it because I liked it. I like the way it went. Uh, I'm 32 years old, owner of Scotia Green in Nova Glasgow and Halifax and opening a third location in St. Peter's February 1st. I'm a carpenter by trade, plumber by trade. I also have a business trade, but I'm a dispensary owner by choice and passion. Also, I'm a father of two girls and married. Uh, I'm also a member of the International Alliance of Cannabis and of course, a cannabis advocate. I love what I do so much that it doesn't feel like work at all. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks so much. Um, first, uh, I'm going to ask you uh, a simple question and I, uh, because we want to know the, your story. And I'm going to start with you, Chris. How did you uh, get involved in this industry? I actually moved out to Halifax from Ontario when I began university. And what was in my mind at the time was that Nova Scotia residents had a much higher odds of getting into Dalhousie Medical School. And Dalhousie Medical School had an excellent <laughs> reputation from coast to coast in this country. And I wanted to go to one of the best medical schools that I could. After four years of doing my undergrad here uh, at Dalhousie, I started to come across some evidence of uh, cannabis and its role in, in not only uh, cancer, but in pain and in all sorts of medical conditions and discovered this endocannabinoid system that's a, a part of our body that exists on every cell in the body. And I came, became very conflicted because despite having specialized in, in immunology and microbiology for my education, there had been zero discussion of a, of a fundamental part of human anatomy. And I ended up dropping out of university in, uh, at the very end of my fourth year, not going to my final set of exams after getting into a conflict with a few of my professors around this issue, <laughs> and um, started to plant my first seeds, and around that time met my uh, now, now my wife, and uh, that was a source of inspiration because she was already providing safe access to a number of people in the community, and together we joined forces, and the, and the rest is history. All right. Okay, good. Well, there's, the, the questions are just already percolating in my little brain, but that's all right. Um, Carl, how did you? Yeah, so I mean, for me, I haven't been doing it as long. Um, I really just seen, I had a couple friends and family members kind of involved in it. And for the longest time, I've seen so many people being helped um, by marijuana, by cannabis. 
Um, and really, of course, in the last few months, I started getting interested in, to get into it as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as the first day, I pretty much walked in there, it became more of a passion. Um, and like I said, to, to go there every single day is, is kind of a, you know, an opportunity really to, to see how many people we help. And, but I mean, like I said, from, for getting into it, like I said, it was a, a business idea, but very, very quickly grew to, like I said, a passion. So, right. And, and so you're just recently to it. Yes, yeah, so we've been open for seven months, so I'm fairly new. I don't have the experiences, okay. Chris here, but <laughs> tell me, tell me about your, tell me about your operation, Chris. What what does it look like? If I were, if I come down there and I go to visit you, what what do yeah. I see? So today we have a storefront on Gottagen Street and right. a storefront in Porter's Lake. Um, the storefront on Gottagen Street has been open since the spring of 2014, and uh, there we serve anyone with a medical license uh, cannabis product. So mm-hmm. when you enter the front of the store, it's a traditional um, glass shop. So we have all the smoking accessories, the papers, and and uh, really it's an educational storefront as well. So anyone can come into the to the front of the store, talk to the staff, uh, acquire accessories, and then they have an opportunity if they're 19 plus and, and show their ID as such to enter our cannabis smoking lounge. So you can consume your products on site. Um, there's really a sense of community there. There's really always someone to, to spark up a conversation with. And then for those that are able to demonstrate a medical authorization from a physician to use cannabis, we also have a dispensary and two offices in the back. So you have a chance to view the products and purchase your products completely in private. It'll just be you and uh, what we call the bud tender, the individual serving the products. And in those rooms, you'll find a a wide selection of cannabis flowers, cannabis extracts, edibles, tinctures, capsules, really uh, a wide variety of products. Uh, in Porter's Lake, the model is very similar. Um, the store is not really split up as much there, but there's a, a really intimate atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, across the water in Burnside, we have a hydroponics and indoor gardening store. And really the focus of that store is exclusively on helping people grow their own medicine and, and giving them the tools and the education to, to do that. And, and, you, and you are specific about it being medicine in, in, the, in that store, the hydroponics store. It's not for growing tomatoes, it's for growing marijuana. Yeah, 98% of our customers would be growing cannabis products, but certainly um, since we moved that store from Porter's Lake into the city um, and, and broadened the, the size of the store, we're seeing a lot more uh, individuals that are growing other crops indoors, fruits and vegetables, right. and, and it's encouraging to see that. Oh, okay. And what about your your operation, Carl? What what happens when I walk down there? Uh, and what's the, what's the name of it? There's a the, your storefront. Uh, Scotia Green. Right. So uh, Scotia Green, we have one in New Glasgow. It was the first location we opened. Um, I went kind of a very uh, relaxing uh, atmosphere. So basically, like I said, when you walk in, it's very professional, clean looking. Um, try to give it that kind of almost like a doctor's office feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so people can be comfortable when they walk in there because you know, there is a certain stigma around it, of course. Yes. Um, so much like Chris is here, you'd walk in, we'd have our reception out front. Uh, we do have those glassware as well, our accessories, our papers. Um, then you would walk into the back where also there'd be a bud tender to serve you. Mm-hmm. Um, we do it per one tender per patient, unless the patient wants to be alone um, in the back for their privacy. And then we have two offices as well there as well for consultations. So right. we'll sit down with you and if you don't have a license, help you get acquired to get a license for sure. And are you involved with high times? Uh, no. That, no. No. Oh, the vape lounge? Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so we actually kind of partnered up with them as well. That's for the location in Halifax. Yes, that's yeah. it. So we are partnered up with them as well. So location is laid out the exact same here in Halifax, but we do have the access to the vape lounge down below. Yeah. So we do encourage people to go down there and, and uh, to vape friendly and in a nice atmosphere where, once again, you can meet people that are doing the same thing. Yeah. So. And that, and again, it's all it's all with the medical certificates and yes, all that it kind is, of stuff. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay. So, uh, to thank you for that. 
first mm -hmm. of all. The, the, I, I mentioned here that the issue of the day is the legalization of marijuana. That's why I, I wanted to get you in here. And this subject can be broken down into two obvious categories, medical marijuana, or cannabis, and recreational marijuana, which is pot and half a thousand other names. Uh, and, and also there's a third consideration, which is marijuana as a spiritual tool, which we may or may not get to in this conversation. So um, the, the, there seems to be a generational divide. Do you find that in terms of the support or lack thereof uh, for, the, for the legalization? Are you guys finding that at all? I think the more conversations I have, the more I'm discovering that uh, I was biased in my in my understanding that oh, it was all young people tell. or, or <laughs> all old people that were seeking older age people that were seeking uh, legalization and, and an end to the current uh, prohibition. I think when you look at the younger uh, group of people coming up today, there's uh, the more the prohibition falls, the more the medical side of cannabis starts to become illuminated. Mm -hmm. And uh, for youth who are looking to use a substance that uh, puts them in opposition to their parents or allows them to uh, express that, uh, that defiance, uh, cannabis for the past number of decades has been the, the tool of choice. It, it's uh, maybe not as uh, harmful to the body as, as, as alcohol or some other uh, drugs, mm -hmm. but certainly it provides an opportunity to stand up to your parents and say, you know, you're against this and I'm for it and I'm going to use this anyways. Uh, but as prohibition starts to fall, I think we'll stop, to st stop seeing so much of that in, in the same way that countries where uh, alcohol prohibition isn't as strong. Uh, we see individuals um, less likely to, to seek out excessive alcohol consumption at a younger age and and it's my hope that uh, you know if we're looking to uh, move away from uh, cannabis as, as something that we have concern about mm -hmm. uh, with with children then I think ending prohibition and removing um, the excitement around cannabis is a big part of that well, I, I'm I, I'm old you see and, and I was when I was on PEI they used to have the the pubs black they blackened out the windows on the pubs so naturally, as a kid, I, that's the only place I wanted to go. <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't think prohibition is a, is necessarily effective in terms of of its of its intention. There was a there was a jingle that used to be on the uh, television for a while, and it was developed by the Nova Scotia government. I don't know which one, so I'm not being biased here. But it was uh, drugs, drugs, drugs. Some are good and some are bad. Drugs, drugs, drugs. Ask your mom and ask your dad. And my friend uh, produced it, and and we were laughing about that concept but it kind of sums up what's happening now i mean there's there are those who believe it's a it's 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 bad and it's dangerous and it's 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 going to it's going to cause untold havoc in in the social realm and there are others who believe no it's going to be less of a damaging than alcohol carl where, where are you on this oh, i definitely first with the, the first points i agree with chris there and and like i said i think you know first off the older generation is stuck into a time where it was known to be a bad drug and a gateway drug and this and that. Mm -hmm. So I think with that stigma gone, um, that should help. Um, Do you think the stigma is gone? Do you think it will no, be gone? No, not yet. It's, it's going. I mean, it's definitely people are opening their eyes. I mean, even my parents still have that stigma. You know, they're just as stuck in the old generation as some. So um, it's still there, definitely. I mm -hmm. think once it becomes legal, it'll still be another step. But I think there's still a little ways to go. Um, and it's really just about, you know changing the minds and showing people how much it can actually help. Um, and there's so much proof out there to what it can do. Um, it's just really 
bewilders me that there's so much negativity around it and there has been for so long so yeah well that and that brings me to the, the benefits there the, I, I, one of the things that I thought was interesting there, there's all, a lot of discussion around the fact that it's quote unquote a gateway drug and I heard the first argument the other night in the movies that I was re- you know watching to research this and stuff I was reading and they mentioned it's also uh, it's also a uh, uh, an exit drug that, that that a lot of people are using it now, who are on more more difficult, more challenging drugs, and they're in order to get off, even alcohol, that they're using marijuana as a as an exit. So there, that uh, is one aspect of it. What are some of the other benefits that you see, Chris? No, I can certainly speak to my own life of using cannabis as a as an exit from alcohol. When I was in university, I really uh, was a binge drinker. I really enjoyed alcohol, and there was a point as I as I transitioned away from university and was consuming far too much alcohol for my own good. I had to make a choice between either cannabis or alcohol because clearly I wasn't going to be able to sustain a, a continued and ongoing use of both of these substances. And and when I decided to increase my consumption of cannabis and completely um, you know, drop out my consumption of, of alcohol, I found uh, not only did life get better, but my physical body got healthier. So I can definitely relate to that. And and it's coming back into play as we hear the Nova Scotia government talking about bringing together alcohol and, and cannabis in, in the sales format. I worry about individuals who uh, really dealt with really strong alcohol addictions and, and found cannabis to be beneficial in, in moving away from that, um, now being forced to go back to uh, a supply source that will be both offering uh, offering both substances. Well, we're going to we're going to come to that, and I'm going to I want to come back to that. But I want to I want to go after this one aspect of it. it there, there's some discussion around the fact that cannabis isn't addictive, and I and I just I've, I've read of course pros and cons and, and and arguments to the end. What do you think, Kyle? What is it? Is it? Do you think it's an addictive drug? I don't think it's an addictive drug by any means, but I think you might be used to or addicted to the feeling of feeling better than you did. I mean, I think that's anything, any euphoric feeling that you might get, anything you do in a day that makes you feel good, you want to keep on doing it. And knowing the medicinal benefits of it, I think that's just what drives it. Mm-hmm. Um, not per se an addiction. You're not going to have withdrawals and, and you know sweats and shakes and if you don't have it, um, you might be wanting it more so because right. you don't have it in a little bit but uh addiction wise i don't think there's any real signs of that so, so like addictive to, addiction to cake yeah exactly right but but no but but and it's and it's interesting because here we are we're all sitting here drinking coffee mm-hmm. and we know that if you if you drink a lot of coffee and go off it you do actually get the shakes mm-hmm. and you have yeah. all sorts of problems so all right um legalization uh, is coming and and uh it's 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 having an effect on, on two levels. One is those who agree with the medical aspects of it say, good idea. But those who think it's about recreational drugs, what do you think the recreational impact is going to be from, from your perspective, Ian? Uh, uh, Chris? I think one of the largest concerns from those that are hesitant about legalization is, is that they don't enjoy cannabis in their environment, in their life. They don't enjoy cannabis smoke in their environment, in their life, and they feel that they're going to be uh, intruded upon in that respect. Um, whether it's you know cannabis smoke shifting from apartments or, or what have you. I think education is going to be one of the tools that really moves us past that. Uh, as cannabis consumers discover how simple it is to absolve those smells using proper technology, carbon scrubbers and filters, um, then they can smoke in their apartment all they want without bothering their next door neighbor. And as the next door neighbor starts to become more aware through the media and just through one-on-one dialogues about the medical benefits of cannabis, hopefully we'll see a little bit less uh, aggression towards uh, or, or um, you know, polarization between the parties. Carl? 
well put. Well sure. put. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's kind of the same idea. I'm thinking, like I said, it's, you know, there is, uh, of course, once again, the stigma too. So, mm-hmm. and I think when it comes to the recreation, uh, people just look at it as, as, you know, just something to do, a reason to get high. Um, but like I said too, there is, you know, even doing a rec- recreational, there is still medicinal benefits. So it doesn't matter if you are using a recreational or medicinal. So once again, like he said, education is going to be a key. Uh, the more people know and can let go of their old beliefs, then I think that we can move forward. Well, one, one of the, one of the aspects of the gateway argument, the gateway drug is, is, uh, they're, they're going to smoke marijuana and then they're going to do meth and acid and heroin and coke, you know, and the cocaine. But one of the reasons for that is because when you, when you were buying marijuana originally and, and for a while, a long time there, it is part of the criminal element. And that criminal element, in fact, deals with all of those indiscriminately. And, and there's the possibility of that. Do you think that this, uh, the legalization in this way is going, is in fact lessening the chance of it being quote unquote a gateway drug? Well, I think first to, to respond to one point that you made in your in your question is that the, the you know along with the criminal element comes all these other drugs, and I would agree that uh, you know when you have prohibition in place, there will be less scrupulous uh, distributors that may also make available these other substances, but certainly within the quote-unquote criminal elements that has existed for the past number of decades. There have also been very scrupulous distributors of cannabis who, who are exclusively uh, cannabis distributors. And and I run into them on, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, long before I, I got involved in the in the medical cannabis industry directly, I was dealing with brokers on a day-to-day basis and, and really had to make decisions about whether to work with brokers that were also selling cocaine and other substances mm-hmm. and who, as a result, may be able to subsidize or offer me cannabis products at a lower price because of their broader sources. But by narrowing down um, those distribution sources to those that were dealing exclusively with cannabis, I was able to avoid, I think, a lot of the um, a lot of the social harms and a lot of the, the pressures that come from the criminality of cannabis per se well and this and this i mean i self uh, self confession here i went to acadia university and while there many of my friends no me too um we smoked and 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 it's interesting that you say that because we were we were mostly buying from people who had uh, grow ops up on the north mountain etc and in that area and so we felt okay we didn't in fact expose ourselves to quote unquote the criminal element so so it was kind of a gentle you know, a gentle you know, takeoff for, for most of us. What, where, what about you? How do you feel, Carla, in terms of this? Well, I mean, like I said, it's, you know, obviously for somebody to go there and to purchase marijuana, um, having that access to those other things and to be able to see them, of course, I would believe that that would kind of fuel that gateway drug kind of mm-hmm. theory. Um, so, of course, being able to... Uh, legalize it it will remove some of that but at the same time with these taxes and stuff they're talking about how much is the black market going to be removed right so that's where I think about that so I mean they're talking taxes even on medical so it's it's like where do we draw that line and is it still going to be more cost than the black market right so but I do think definitely that you know um, keeping them from going to maybe a like I said one source that has six different drugs and they see it maybe that definitely helps reduce that for sure um, but I think the biggest thing is, is um, just like I said, keeping that so it is from the black market price difference and to keep that away and to keep you know, the kids away from the, the cannabis as well for there, recreational force. There was a friend of mine who used, to, who used to talk about taboos. And one of the things that he said was when something's taboo uh, and you break the taboo, which is what the 60s were all about, when you break the taboo, 
and nothing, and the world doesn't come shattering down around you, you sort of go, well, what other taboos can I break that, are, that aren't that big a deal? So to take it out of the taboo area and put it into a more, you know, as you say, educated, cautionary area where you're saying, you know, this isn't, it's not a free-for-all. It's, it, there, there are some concerns that we might have or might not have. And to get educated and to have that conversation uh, seems of value. So, so um, there, there's a distribution issue that, that you've both mentioned, and we should let go at it. The, the plan in Nova Scotia is, what is the plan as far as you're concerned, Carl? Well, right now, uh, they haven't actually talked much about medical. I believe there's something in February, maybe, announcement. Um, but we don't have uh, recreational, what they're planning on doing with the liquor stores. Um, I don't believe it'll work. I don't believe it's a um, good setup. Like I said, but like Chris said, with people coming off alcohol and stuff, I'd have to go there. Um, it's just, you know, and, and, the, and the setup, I don't believe. Like, we, when they made that announcement, I actually had some people go around and ask a few people that worked at these liquor stores and stuff. Not one of them had an interest in doing this. Not one of them really had any info or knowledge on the product. Um, and a lot of them are, you know, stuck in that generation where it was bad and they grew up to, you know, so they don't even want to be selling it. So I think right. that's where right. that difference is, why take it away from somebody who knows about it and, and believes in it and has a passion for it and can educate people on it or give it to somebody, like I said, that doesn't want to even have anything to do with it and it's just going to commercialize it, right? So, okay. So, but like I said, that's that's what we know for now is what they're doing. So, What do you think of the plan, Chris? I think it's interesting that one of the motives behind legalization is supposedly to keep cannabis out of the hands of children, but really what the Nova Scotia government's doing with its current model is directly advertising to seven and eight year olds. And the reason I say that is because the current cannabis consumers are not going to be the primary uh, demographic that the Nova Scotia uh, Liquor Control Board and the Cannabis Control Board uh, will be marketing towards because they already have dealers, they already have providers um, that, are, that are giving them access to absolutely wonderful cannabis products at much more affordable prices than what the NSLC is going to be offering. But when you're brought up in a paradigm from a child where the place to go to get your cannabis is the liquor store slash cannabis store, and that becomes normalization in the same way that uh, tobacco and, and cigarettes became normalized at, at the convenience store, uh, I think that those individuals will will be more likely to purchase cannabis uh, uh, from that outlet when they become of age and, and therefore in, in 10 years perhaps we'll see a, a, a successful model in terms of cost revenue for the government. However, the actual sources of cannabis that are supposed to be distributed through these outlets simply won't be available for this summer. Uh, we only have a handful of, of producers here in Nova Scotia and their expected supply, even if they do get sales licenses by the summer, uh, won't even be a drop in the bucket compared to the demand. So are you are you folks? And, and this is my ignorance. Are you are you going to become illegal? Are you two guys going to be illegal, all of a sudden, in well, a sense? Are, are they going to? <laughs> are you now? Do you feel well, illegal I now? Mean, uh, it's a gray area. Well, no. I actually, I, I I'm going to jump into this now because I'll you, you, that you, I was you please please answer succinctly. Uh, so the Supreme Chris. the Supreme Court of Canada in 2015 in a decision uh, R versus Smith so. Uh, Owen Smith was an individual on Vancouver Island who was making edibles for the, Van, uh, the uh, Cannabis Buyers Club of Canada and uh, faced a search and seizure at his apartment during that uh, edible uh, making process. And his case went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada and then the resolution to his charter challenge arguing that the current uh, medical regime was unconstitutional because it didn't provide patients sufficient 
access to cannabis derivatives. And so what the Supreme Court of Canada said coming out of that was that, listen, the trafficking laws, so Section 5 of the CDSA, which covers any trafficking of cannabis, is not in force in effect insofar as it prohibits medical patients from accessing cannabis derivatives. So cannabis derivatives are any products that contain cannabis, and if a person has a medical license to access those products, but can't reasonably access those products through the current distribution means offered by the government, then the trafficking restrictions are not in force in effect. Because you, you had a little, you had some incidents in November, which is that not your first? So in 2013, 2014, and 2015, I was charged under the CDSA, faced full-blown SWAT team raids of my dispensary, of my house, of my production site, um, had you know, virtually all of, my, all of my assets, cash, growing equipment seized. Um, however, in November of this year, absolutely all of those charges with, are withdrawn, all of the cash was returned, and uh, there's actually compensation hearings now for all the cannabis that was stolen and, and cut down. Right. However, in, in the day following a, a CBC interview, I was pulled over for slightly speeding and, and illegally searched, arrested, put in jail again, and basically news charges laid under, under the current cannabis uh, laws. So, so, but it's uh, in regards to that, uh, Hartland, which is one of the lawyers, said, and I just have this quote, we just questioned the public interest in continuing to consume large amounts of court time, trying to defend against regimes that are not in effect anymore, completely defunct, and also found to be unconstitutional. So, and so, but that said, you're still running into it. Yeah, so those previous charges happened under what we call the MMAR and the MMPR, these being the, the medical regimes that the government had in place at the time. However, the, the current medical regime, the ACMPR, um, even though it's basically a, a hybrid of those two previous regimes, there's really nothing new in it regarding constitutional availability for patients. Um, the federal government argues it's a new medical program. It's never been declared officially unconstitutional by the courts, so we're, we're live for... Uh, for a fresh uh, hearing, <laughs> so more, more money to be spent having this discussion. Um, what what is the what is what is the best in in your opinion as entrepreneurs? I'm I'm guessing I already know this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's the best solution, Carl, that for you to be, to balance the 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 medical and the recreational use and the laws sort of coming in very mushy in in terms of what I'm seeing and hearing. So so what what would what do you think is a better way to go? Um, well, like I said, I mean, I, I think the uh, obviously biased, of course. Um, Bias is where we live. <laughs> I believe, of course, that us as dispensary owners um, really do provide the best service for medical. Um, if you go into any one of our locations, you're going to get people that, you know, really know what they're talking about, are educated, have used before for medical, have stories about people they've helped or seen being helped. Um, so I think that's where it needs to go, especially for the medical. Mm-hmm. Of course, the recreational before the announcement, we would like to see that as well. Um, I would have kept it separate on a certain point, um, but at what the same point? time. What point would you have separated? Just as in two, you know, two different locations. I do feel there is, I mean, if they're going to tax it, um, you know, recreational and medical should be different because of the tax, if they feel they need a tax, right? So, so the medical would be less or the... Or yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, okay, 100%. Yeah. And that's where I go from that, right? So, I mean, to have it separated to a point where if you are just going to use your recreational, even though you are getting medicinal, yeah. um, Maybe there should be associated costs with it a little bit more, um, but for anybody reaching for medical uh, access or, or anything, um, that should be separated and it should be controlled, like I said, by people like us that who know what we're talking about can provide reasonable access um, and reasonable prices, which is the big thing too. 
So right, I, I had I had a gentleman. I spoke with a gentleman who sells seeds and, and exclusively sells seeds yeah. in uh, Ontario. And one of the things he said is is if if they if everybody grew their own plants, there'd be no black market. Which I thought was kind of an interesting start of that process, and he was very calm about that. Was and I said, "What, what you know? What, what are your uh, thoughts about the future?" And he said, "I'm not in charge." And that was he basically was relaxed about it in that sense, saying he doesn't he doesn't know he didn't know whether it was going to go one way or the other, but he was uh, ready to sit back and, and hope it was going to be better. What do you, what do you think, Chris? What what, what is it for you? Um, my vision for the future is a complete end to prohibition, and, and ultimately my fight won't stop and, until we're in that position where, where the laws around cannabis are struck down and this plant is treated no differently than broccoli or tomatoes. My, my view of the peer-reviewed literature around cannabis is that there is no ongoing social or physical harm from cannabis use, that um, regardless of one's intention when consuming the cannabis plant, that this is a, a medicine that has been demonstrated to be preventative and, and prophylactic for a number of medical conditions, cancer uh, specifically is, is the one that I focus my research on. And so when we, anytime we add any sort of a, a prohibition and start restricting supply with quotas or limited producers, then we automatically increase the price of the product. Even mandatory testing significantly increases the price of the product when we're looking at small batch cannabis. And as a result, there's a limited availability for individuals who are on a limited income to consume that product and, and bringing the price of cannabis as low as possible, um, ideally free, the fact that it's in such abundance is my goal. Um, in terms of taxes, there's absolutely no fruit or vegetable in this country that we pay tax on when it's a raw food product. And so um, in the short term, treating medical cannabis is separately and arguing that no prescribed medicine uh, is tax applicable in this country, I think is a good Trojan horse. Um, but I think in the long term, we really need to look towards ending any sort of taxation uh, on around cannabis and treating it as a regular plant. In India, they had a, a huge discussion around um, turmeric because they found that there were a lot of medical benefits to turmeric and the large pharma companies were coming in and saying we want to patent it we want to you know nail it down and and, and medicalize it and they said no this is a natural product get out of here it's a spice and stop even thinking about it and they, they literally threw them out so so you're saying pretty much the same thing here yeah and i think when we start to worry about cannabis consumption among children i mean there's a role for the parent in in limiting um what products are, are appropriately available and then allowed to be consumed in that household until the child is of age there's all sorts of products in our environment that are completely legal that, that children are are allowed to use per se but which parents absolutely do not allow in their household and, and i think that that role should be sustained moving forward because certainly there are children that can benefit from the medical use of cannabis and uh, the limitation on access to doctors is a problem in that respect and so parents should have the right to help their children self-medicate if it's a situation where that's appropriate and they shouldn't be uh, in fear of facing the strong arm of the law for doing so. So we're, we're coming to the end of this uh, particular segment. You, 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 can you tell me, Carl, an, an, uh, a story, an anecdote of where you saw the beneficial effects of marijuana in, in terms of your Absolutely. Your I mean, every day, really. I mean, I've had numerous people come in who, when they first walk into a shop, haven't even tried a cannabis product. And within weeks to a month later, come back and tell me that they've stopped taking four to five pills a day, um, how we've changed their life for the better. Um, I mean, I've had a friend that survived cancer um, because after his chemo, it didn't work. And he went right on to the, the oil treatment and it worked. 
Um, so, I mean, how can you have a better testament than that? Um, and like I said, every day we have people walk in and the stories that they could tell us and, and how much they change their lives, everything from coming off opiates, coming off alcohol, um, or their family members watching the same thing. So, um, yeah, every single day you come into the shop and probably see one of those stories. So, so that's why you've become, you've become a, a passion, as you said absolutely, yourself, a passionate Absolutely, every day I'm there. It's just I realize why I want to be there more and more, and I look forward to it more the next day going back. So right. it take a lot to get me out of this business for sure <laughs> good chris I, I think before answering that question i just want to give a lot of credit to carl i don't know too much about his story or background up mm -hmm. in new glasgow but what i do know is that new glasgow is an extremely harsh environment for cannabis activism um, there's been two individuals in the past two years that were not cannabis retailers um, at all they were simple um, definitely sick individuals that were using and, and growing cannabis in very small amounts and they did face um, police raids and, um, and and a really aggressive attempt by the courts to to prosecute them one of them actually spent three day, uh, 30 days in jail um, just for growing 10 plants 10 plants that he was licensed to grow and then his license expired when his doctor wasn't willing to resign the paperwork he continued to grow anyways and uh, and was sentenced to 60 days in jail and didn't get out until 30. Um, the other individual, they were seeking over a year of jail time, and it, were it not for bringing in counsel from out of province that really aggressively um, moved forward in, in New Glasgow, then uh, then he would have faced some some serious jail time as well. So I certainly give credit to Carl for for the balls it takes to, to move forward <laughs> in, in that environment. Um, but in terms of uh, the question, I think one of the tools that really helped resolve our charges from 2013 to 2015, um, despite all my excitement in the courts and all of my aggression, was when we actually brought forward the patient statements um, regarding how um, they had benefited from cannabis and from the services of a dispensary like ourselves. And, and there's a lot of stories there, but one of them that I think the Crown really took to heart was a, a retired uh, veteran of the RCMP. He was 40 years of service, um, retired with, with all merits. And, uh, and he face, uh, faces today a, a brain tumor that's uh, advanced staged and, and had a termination date uh, on his life. He decided he wasn't going to give up. He really is passionate about life and passionate about his family. And uh, along with exploring some experimental therapies in Montreal and Toronto, um, he decided to move forward on a very high dose of cannabis. And, and he really um, didn't take any punches. He jumped right into that full um, gram a day of oral uh, oil uh, consumption that we kind of encourage as being the threshold point that we try to get people towards and and uh, he sustained that for for quite a few months and his tumors have, have not only stopped growing now but tumors in a number of his areas of his body have, have shrunk um, considerably and and we don't stand on some sort of mountaintop and, and give cannabis all the credit in that situation I mean certainly there's been a whole host of medical professionals helping him move along but I think when we combine that evidence with the dozens and dozens of individuals um, that we've been helping get oral cannabis products specifically to fight cancer and, and seeing um, the benefits in those individuals um, and, and the time and quality of life that, that it offered many uh, continues to be the driving force for me in this industry for sure. I have, I have a, a closing question and it's, it's, a, it's a little bit complex but I, I'll go at it anyway. If, you, if you're sitting here now and you've got people listening, you've got government, you've got whoever listens to our podcast listening, what would you say about uh, the, the coming legalization both uh, medical and recreational. Carl? See, it's huge question. Huge question. I just thought I'd throw it down. Yeah. Leave it to the professionals. <laughs> Honestly, leave it to the people that know about it. 
um, and that believe in it. That's just what I think because that's the starting point. Um, to take all these companies that are jumping into it now and the pharmaceuticals that didn't believe in it and put out other things that harm people, now all of a sudden want to capitalize on it. I just think that it should be left to the professionals and it, they should take in consideration everything that we have to say and the patients have to say because we're the ones getting affected by the most. So I think that's where I stand on that one. So. All right, Chris? If the stated goal of legalization is to move the industry out of the hands of organized crime and away from children, it is absolutely imperative that those individuals who have been a part of the, the cannabis framework, the cannabis distribution networks for the past uh, number of decades, be onboarded onto the new cannabis uh, distribution schemes that will be legal. And whether uh, criminal charges as a result of their activity in the cannabis industry uh, are the, are the limiting factor of them onboarding, then we certainly need to create allowances um, for that. Because if we don't onboard those that are professionals and those that are the most passionate about cannabis uh, in their lives today, then we'll simply create uh, a dual market and, and the stated goals will not be successful. One of the, one of the uh, goals of this podcast is, is to shift the brain. I don't think anybody could listen to the two of you talking about what you've been talking about today and not have been shifted uh, to some extent because these are first voices. You, you, uh, you're both on the front lines of, of a very complex, very difficult industry uh, and one that uh, you know has, has taken a lot of courage and there must have been days when it's uh, been questioned very heavily but you've stayed at it and now we're coming into a, a, a very important uh, juncture with this thing and I think everybody should sit down and uh, really give it some consideration and I think you've both contributed immensely to that discussion thank you so much for coming in thank you for having us thanks for having us thank you thank you for listening to Shift for Brains if you wish to comment or you want to join in the discussion or you want to give us some ideas for future podcasts you can contact us on Twitter at Shift Brains Pod on Facebook at Shift for Brains Pod or on our website shiftforbrains.ca. This is a creative endeavor brought to you from ARC, whose mandate is to create space for authentic human exchange. If you want to know more about ARC, we're on Twitter at ARCworksCA, Facebook backslash ARCworksCA, or at our website, arcworks.ca.